that and what an example that was and um and just also that goes along with what the society was that it was just that wicked mm -hmm. yeah for sure and, and we're seeing that as we we go through chapters one and two just mm -hmm. how um how similar our day is to to his in in that wickedness and and so um well, I hope that one of the things that is that is going to be like his experience um, with the altar and being saved is how many people follow him, including his father. Mm -hmm. That you know, if if you know, as as I've contemplated on this topic quite a bit over the last year, um, you know, it, it feels like so many people are not seeing and not understanding and not noticing and and. But boy, you have a event like that, and you know, the there were lots of people who followed him, mm -hmm. and I hope that that is one of the ways it's like the second coming. Mm -hmm. And and I'm sure I'm not the only one with the wayward child, right? <laughs> and I would hope that when that time comes, it's so funny. He just lost his job as he went back at the new year. And he reached out. He doesn't want anything to do with our come follow me. He doesn't want anything. And he's kind of started saying again, I don't even think there's a God. I think I'm atheist again. And, um, but when he lost his job, he texted the whole family and said, will you pray for me? <laughs> so isn't that interesting? When times are rough, he comes back a little bit, not much. And so you would hope that, I hope that he, when this starts happening, he'll recognize and be brought to, back to a remembrance like Abraham's father was, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, and then um, over on the opposite side, just where I was quoting from 58, over on 59, um, it's just right before the section Sarai the Princess. It says, at the very moment of the seeming greatest triumph of the forces arrayed in their sanctimonious might to destroy Zion below, Zion above broke through triumphant, and so it shall happen again. I, I think that that's an important um, thing to note as well, that the Enoch city, um, the Zion above will break through and, and help Zion below as they're establishing righteousness. Well, um, and it even says just above where you read that Enoch mm -hmm. was the angel, that they, they think there's evidence that Enoch was the angel. Well, I mean, if you listen to President Irene's talk to the women in the last conference, he was quoting Enoch coming and mm -hmm. being here too. Yeah, for sure. Uh, we have so many things. As awake saints, um, we, we know um, more about the doctrine of translation and, and things like that. And what an important role that Enoch is going to have in the the building up to the second coming. I think that that's, that's huge. And look at, at where Enoch falls in uh, the history of the earth. So he's um, kind of part of Adam's dispensation right before Noah's dispensation. Uh, you know, he's right at the beginning and he's in a wicked world, finds God and, and is able to see the whole history play out. And he wants to be saved for the last. He wants to be able to help those in the last days, right before the second coming. And, and he, he gets his, his desires. The city's taken up so that they can all come back and, and help us in that way. 
um, I, I find that very interesting and intriguing to, to study and, and learn about. Uh, I, I never knew it had that much connection to Abraham until I read this book, but, but Enoch is, is going to have a pivotal role as we're um, leading up to this great second coming. But Abraham, with his covenant, um, the, the threefold blessings and, and, and more that, that he brings to the table for his posterity, uh, Enoch and, and Abraham just kind of go hand in hand as, as our um, great patriarchs um, that will lead us into that. Um, so let's talk about uh, this, this sacrifice here. So we have 900,000 in number that came to see Abraham get sacrificed. This is, this is a huge gathering. And um, on page 55, uh, somewhat toward the end of the, the page, it says that um, it was the ancient penalty of kingship that the king lay down his life for his people in a ceremony to propitiate the gods. And I find that very interesting. I mean, it even has a title that this was, was something that kings did. But yet, but it's they not, didn't do it. <laughs> yeah, but yet it's not a true sacrifice because it's not of self. They always did a substitute sacrifice who was often a foreigner to to propitiate the gods, kind of a thing. It, it's so uncanny. It's just how Satan works. Oh, this great law of sacrifice. How can I twist it? Oh, well, here's how you do it. And well, and I just finished reading Isaiah Decoded, where he goes through multiple kings who did make a major sacrifice and you know kind of how that brought them closer to christ and all those kinds of things move them up the ladder and so i thought that was funny reading that here you've got all these you know great kings who were righteous who did not were willing to even like was it hezekiah who got really really sick and um you know he he thought he was going to die and then he was and miraculously saved but then you've got all these kings who are laying down their life by mm -hmm. killing somebody else uh, mm -hmm. dumber people that was my thought <laughs> yep exactly um part was super cool because did anybody else i didn't know like you look at the facsimile and i just thought it was kind of i don't know a private little thing i didn't know it was such a big deal and such a mirror like i had no idea mm-hmm um, and I also found it interesting that it's kind of like, uh, a foreshadowing of the second coming, just like Moses is kind of a foreshadowing of the return of the lost 10 tribes. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So anyways, but I just thought this was super cool. I was like, I had no idea. Mm -hmm. it, yeah, exactly. That's a lot of people. Witness it. Yeah. 900,000 in number came to, to see Abraham. And, and what is this whole ceremony uh, for? Why did they do it this way? It's carefully staged rites designed by the ruling powers pursuant to an elaborate evil theology, carefully orchestrated to increase the power of the ruling elite. Do we not have the same in, in our lives? Like we have carefully staged rites and things that are carefully orchestrated to increase power. And, and that's what Satan's all about, granting power to, um, to, to tyranny, to uh, anything that's, that's anti-Zion, right? Um, so let's see, we have 
on the next page. Let's see. Oh, yes, right here. So just right under where it starts the section Abram, Abram on page 56, that Satan appears in human form. That, that was new to me. I had no idea that that was in conjunction with this story at all. What other times or, or uh, stories do we have of Satan appearing in human form? What? Um, where is that? I don't even remember reading that. Where uh -huh, was it? Yeah, so on page 56, um, it's just right under the, the section heading Abram, Abram. It's the very first paragraph, halfway through. So it is Jewish tradition, and, and that tells us that, you know, it, it, it's found in the Midrash and, and different places, yet, um, you know, as far as being full-on scriptural, it, it might not be uh, true. That might be an interpolation of men, yet um, it, it kind of seems to fit a pattern. So I, I tend to believe it more than, more than anything, but... Um, yeah, that Jewish tradition tells of Satan appearing in human form and urging Abraham to save himself by bowing down in worship to Nimrod. Did he appear in human form to tempt Christ? Mm -hmm. that, that's also a, a great question. What does human form mean? Does it mean just a, a spirit that, that looked like, like a human kind of a thing? Or did he take over somebody's body that you know allowed him to do that and and he's in human form kind of a thing or i don't know that you know it, it's jewish tradition so we don't know exactly what that that means um so but we also have that in the garden with satan because we know that he was wearing clothes right uh-huh yeah in in that portrayal there um we have that that clothing there's a part where he talks about some of the clothing that he's wearing Mm -hmm. so, so we know that he had to have been in human form mm -hmm. yeah in some sort of human form there yeah. and so what other uh, examples do we have of, of satan taking a human form in one way or another but appearing uh, as a personage kind of thing we have the the two main ones eden and 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 with christ and temptations um you know, there's lots of different stories here and there and stuff, but I remember um, the one where he rode up in a chariot to the, the Logan Temple. Has anybody else heard that story? Oh, yeah. Um, I, I need to find the source on that or whatever, but um, that the temple president came out and, and threw him uh, to the curb kind of a, th a thing. But um, uh, Satan can can appear in, in human form to, to deceive. But yet, uh, that's why we have in the Doctrine and Covenants, the the three grand signs of how to tell to discern spirits right and, and what are those can anybody summarize what those are cameron while they're answering that that uh, story of satan coming up in the chariot to this uh logan temple that's in that uh book of the logan temple the i forget the name of it a hundred years of or something I can't remember exactly but okay. we uh I have that book but okay. it's it's in that book well there's your assignment you got to find that for us for next time okay <laughs> I think it's called the first hundred temples isn't it by Chad somebody it's What's that's it? probably does it have drawings in it yes yeah it's Chad Hawkins I think 
Oh, okay. thank you. Does that thank sound you. right? Uh-huh. Because I think I have that book. Thank you. It's got a blue cover, I remember. Okay, thanks. By Chad. Yeah, I'm gonna look that one up too. Um, so you yeah. know, one of the one of the things is to ask if they will shake your hand. Mm -hmm. Shake your hand because they want to touch you, but they have no body. Mm -hmm. An yeah. angel will say no because. I can't remember what I can't remember why an angel won't say no. What we'll yeah, say so no. they they don't have a body, and so they wouldn't. And they don't lie. To yeah, they they're not going to lie and, and do that. Right. But a resurrected body will shake your hand, and that's right. So that you know. Yeah. So I know that's one of them. I don't know what the other two are. Oh yeah. So those three. So how to discern between a an evil spirit, uh, a uh, uh person who has died but doesn't have the resurrection doesn't have a, a body yet or like like an angel of light and then a, a an actual resurrected being those are the three keys or, or signs that they give but yeah and then you know yeah, in the control the we, evil, we find them. an evil spirit will reach their hand out to shake because you know they're mm -hmm. that's how you tell yeah yeah, yeah. And then um, in the temple, we do have additional uh, light and knowledge on, on how to cast them out and, um, and things to, to check for. So um, here, going back to, to Abram's story, we have Satan appearing in human form. And then just a couple paragraphs later, the angel of the presence stood by me and immediately unloosed my bands. So, um, uh, you know, many people often just uh, take this for for what it's worth and, and assume it's Christ the Lord that, that comes and appears um, but yet if you take it in context and read the whole story in the scriptures you find that it was um, the the angel that the Lord sent it's the angel of the presence and the angel of the presence turns out is a title for for Enoch for Metatron um, and we we find that some of these things are, are starting to, to give further light and knowledge to us and, and we're understanding more fully why Enoch would be the one sent um, at this time to Abram to, um, to save him from the idolatrous um, priest of Elkanah and, and from Nimrod himself. Uh, and, and it's funny that here's this huge vast audience and they're seeing Satan and uh, probably that this angel was visible to the onlookers. It's in Jewish and Muslim traditions. They, they tell of a great earthquake, the cataclysmic fire consumed many thousand onlookers. Like if, if you're not converted by that, I don't know what will, <laughs> right? And, but also some of the things that will happen in the second coming, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. And so uh, we see this great polarization. If anybody watched um, Elder Bednar's uh, speech today as well at, at BYU Provo. Um, it, this, this polarization that, that's happening and stuff, there's, it's, you're either for God or against God, and you're going to get many witnesses, many signs, things just kind of like this experience that, that happened in Abram's day, and they're going to be kind of undeniable, yet you, you still have agency, you can pick a side, and, and the great sifting, the, the polarization that will happen. I find that very interesting. 
Um, let's see. And so uh, on the top of page 57, just a few more paragraphs down, it says that those present that day who witnessed the miracle and escaped the destruction were, as told in the book of Abraham, smitten with a severe famine. A another parallel to uh, the things ramping up to the second coming, uh, where God took away the, the rain from them. Uh, we talked about, I think it was in group B, wasn't it? Uh, on Sunday night that um, like they're, they're seeing it very much in, in Utah. There's just not a lot of moisture this year. There's going to be times of, of great famine ahead, uh, not only for uh, the wicked, but, but also for the righteous. There's, there's going to be things that we have to go through that, that are going to be hard and, and difficult. And, you know, 2020 was one of them, but 2021 is also going to be uh, a challenge in and of itself. Cameron, I thought it was interesting when we when I read that that there was going to be a, that there was a famine. So this is a temporal famine, but all things are created spiritual first, right? And so mm -hmm. first came the spiritual famine, followed. And as I started thinking about that, that's true in every case that there's a famine is there's a spiritual famine first. Uh huh. Yes. Um, Cameron, something that came to my mind with that is how it relates to the you know, these days, um, like, especially today, like all the hot topics, um, people are so concerned, like, why aren't the apostles standing up? Why aren't they saying this? Mm -hmm. And when I read that about him on the altar, um, like, it just felt like it's not our time to be saved from the altar yet. Like we need to experience some of these things. And it, um, it's not, it's not our time to be saved yet and there's one part that I loved um what Brigham Young said about Joseph Smith um that he could not have been perfected though he had lived a thousand years if he had received no persecution um it said great though Abraham was he became greater with each triumphant surmounting of a new trial so I thought that was really interesting yeah for sure yeah, I, I kind of didn't like that <laughs> yep <laughs> elder holland i i love that quote welcome to the brotherhood of suffering that's that's what we do here that that's how we grow and that's how we progress um uh there on but isn't that interesting though it it can be the suffering but didn't just president didn't president nelson just tell us to how to overcome the suffering is by mm -hmm. giving gratitude and it's all um, a paradigm and how we look at it right mm -hmm. and if we change if we shift our view of it and we're not myopic then we see something greater and we can be grateful for that suffering mm -hmm. yes for sure because hey, libby where was that part you were talking about with the altar um i believe it was under the abram abram I know the quote from Brigham Young was on 53. And then um, under Abram, Abram, the second, the second paragraph is that it says, as they lifted up their hands upon me that they might offer me up and take away my life. Behold, I lifted up my voice unto the Lord, my God. Okay, thank you. Um, so that kind of uh, leads us into the, 
the second one about uh, on 65 and 66 toward the very end of the chapter, the lech lecha. Uh, I find that that's a, a fun new phrase that, that we learn. We have the first one, chesed, and then lech lecha, which is a double imperative rendered by some translations as leave and go. Not just leave, but go as well. Like it's a get up and get going. Like there's, there's a lot to this. And then on page 66, um, the life, let's see. So Abraham bid goodbye to Ur of the Chaldees to begin the life of a pilgrim. For Lekleka can also mean keep moving. Perpetual migration was one of the 10 trials of Abraham. So as we're talking about suffering and, and those kind of things, like Abraham always uh, maintained his faith throughout all of his tests and trials. You know, he did have gratitude even though there was sometimes he didn't understand why he didn't have the posterity that he was promised or, or uh, certain things, he still was able to, to rise above it, be gracious and, and, and recognize God at, at all points and stuff. But um, I'd just like to, to ask the question, what are the 10 trials of Abraham? Has anyone studied that out? What are the, the 10 different things that he had to endure in his life? I mean, we'll obviously get there as we go throughout this book, but um, let me pull it up really quick. Oh, I thought I had it. Handy here, just one second. There was a website link I was gonna send you. Well, I will keep finding that. Anybody can can jump in. Oh, there it is. Sorry. Let me send this out and screen share it. All right. So what were Abraham's 10 tests? So um, that God tells him to leave his homeland to be a stranger in the land of Canaan. Uh, immediately after his arrival in the promised land, he encounters a famine. The Egyptians seize his beloved wife, Sarah, and bring her to Pharaoh. Abraham faces incredible odds in the battle of the four and five kings. He marries Hagar after not being able to have children with Sarah. God tells him to circumcise himself at an advanced age. The king of Gerar captures Sarah, intending to take her for himself. God tells him to send Hagar away after having a child with her. His son Ishmael becomes estranged, and then God tells him to sacrifice his dear son Isaac upon the altar. I find Will those. Will you send this out to us? Will you send that to us? Uh -huh. Yeah, I was just getting ready to copy paste. Um, so there's that link, and I'll also put it on the, the website as well. Um, but yeah, that's by a, a Jewish rabbi, and, and the, it has two different lists of, of 10. Um, trials of Abraham on there. <clears throat> but um, kind of like I, I mentioned before in it, who knows which class, it, it might have been this one, it might have been others, but um, that he not only had one Abrahamic test, he had a test for each Abrahamic blessing that he received. Um, and, and likewise, we will have multiple tests in our lives, not just one great insurmountable test that hopefully we pass if we've studied and crammed hard enough. Um, this is uh, an evolving process over time. That's what the, 
um, the tests of Abraham for us um, entail. Um, but yeah, while, while we're there, let's talk about the perpetual migration as um, this lek-leka principle. Um, have any of you had your call out or uh, examples when, when the Lord has moved you or your family um, to a new place and you just didn't quite know what to expect or why, but, but the Lord um, had a plan for you to, to move. I'd love to hear any examples and, and things of that um, as, as the Lord has, has done that with you. We had quite the discussion in, in group B. There was lots of people that <laughs> have have moved throughout their lives multiple times, not knowing why. Cameron, we lived in Blackfoot, Idaho, and the Lord moved us overseas. And that was really, really difficult. We went from five acres and a 5,200 square house, including the basement, to a townhouse with three bedrooms, two half baths, and two full baths. Mm -hmm with five kids and a 2000 square foot and it was so difficult and then that was in Virginia and moved to Mexico City and Panama and it was hard because my husband was the only one fluent in Spanish and um now is my connection okay it, it cuts out every once in a while but I, for the most part we get it mm -hmm. so as I remember specifically one day we landed, so we have a cabin north of Rexburg. And so that's where we would go home. And this was Christmas and we went home and our third son and the three younger ones were with me. And my husband was coming a little later with the two older ones. And we were driving, it was like 11 o'clock at night, it was snowing. And my third son just out of the blue said, I'm really glad we moved overseas. And it was really, really hard. It had been really hard. And um, we'd only been overseas for mm, seven or eight months at that time. And he said, I'm so glad we moved overseas. And I said, really, why? And he said, I have learned so much and it's been such a blessing. And each one of the kids have come and said, we've learned so much and I'm so glad that we didn't stay in the United States. And so that was a blessing. Mm -hmm. um, and then we thought we were gonna stay where we were living we lived by the border um, in Texas, like five minutes from the border. And we thought we'd be there another five years. And a job opportunity presented itself. My husband turned it down four times. And I was like, don't you think maybe we're supposed to move? Not realizing what that meant and what that entailed. And we moved to Fort Worth. We're just south of Fort Worth now. And we don't know why. We have no idea why. And we feel like there's a reason, but we don't know. Mm -hmm. so, yeah. <laughs> that's yeah. yet to be known. But with the kids, we found out, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah, I know. Uh, I grown up in, in Malta, Idaho, just here by the, the Utah border. And I don't know. I, I wanted nothing more than to spread my wings and leave this place kind of thing. But every time I do, I always keep, it's like a magnet. It just sucks me back in kind of thing. And I, I finally left for good. I was, I wasn't going to really come back kind of thing. And not six months later, boom, I'm back kind of forced back. And, and then it was like, you need to, you need to stay. You have a purpose kind of a thing. 
I, I who knows what what exactly it'll entail, but uh, as I'm able to to actually set down roots now and and figure that out, um, the Lord has. I, in retrospect, I can see it very clearly what he was doing the, the whole time. Yet at, at the time, it always just seems like he's just moving me for no reason. It seems like this weird nomadic lifestyle, but um, the, the Lord always has a, a purpose when he moves us. Um, I find that's an interesting principle that I never really tied to the Abrahamic covenant, that um, migration is often one of the trials and one of the blessings that that come from uh, keeping the Abrahamic covenant. We we kind of are going through that right now too. Yeah. <clears throat> um, we lived in Orem, Utah, for um, thirty years, <laughs> at least thirty years in Provo and um, Utah in general for forty years and had all of our children there. We have seven children. And then in March, my husband lost his job. And it really wasn't due to COVID, but it was right at that same time. And so mm -hmm. it took him until October to find another job and it took us out of state. And so um, never was planning on moving. <laughs> mm -hmm. All of our children are still in Utah and so it's been really hard. I have always told my children that they're not allowed to move. And <laughs> here I am. Yep. <laughs> I'm in, we're in Rangeley, um, Colorado now. Mm -hmm. So it's been really interesting. Um, it was, it was really scary. My husband though, he loves his job and we did take our youngest with us who is still in high school. And honestly, it has been, a, an absolutely fantastic experience for her. She is just adjusting so well and loving it here. And um, I haven't really <laughs> found my niche here yet, but mm -hmm. but everyone else has, the other two have. And so that's really exciting for us to see. But it, I think that we have a purpose here. I don't know exactly what that is yet, but... Mm -hmm. um, so I guess we'll just keep trusting that everything is mm -hmm. going to work out. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah, Chelsea Smith is getting called out. <laughs> I know, that's my friend. Um, so I actually have a couple stories of that. Um, as a child, um, when I was 12, we moved from New York to New Mexico. It was a very abrupt move. It was very difficult. I was, you know, a preteen and it was very emotional for me. Um, but the, the part of it that was a big deal is my parents had gone inactive while we had lived in New York. And um, there was a bad situation with a member there. And when we moved to New Mexico, they, de they were determined that we were going to come back to church. And so as, um, as a youth, I came back to church. And then that was just a, a stepping stone. And we, we ended up in Las Vegas, where the church is actually really strong. Um, and, you know, I ended up staying in the church, obviously, and met my husband and, you know, it, it affected generations, them bringing us back in the church. And my parents are converts. And so they hadn't been in the church very long before they fell away. Um, but now they're strong. And then me and one of my sisters are very strong in the gospel and they're grateful for that. Mm -hmm. So that was a, an amazing situation. And then, um, you know, many years later, 
we struggled with job loss after job loss in Las Vegas and were being pushed very strongly to move to Michigan and ended up, um, we pretty much were forced. Uh, there was no other option, we left. And that was another one of those stepping stones um, which got us here to Missouri. And there was multiple job officers to get us here in Missouri and we didn't understand why. Still don't fully understand the, uh, you know, but it's a pretty cool place to be right now. So yeah. we're, we're grateful for that. But yes, there's been many times that moving has been absolute. You know, there was no question about it. We needed to go. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm grateful for the, the trial that it brought and how hard it was, but that I learned along the way, so. Mm -hmm. Yeah, thank you. Thank you so much. Um, it's interesting that the three of us that shared have just recently made these moves that we still don't know why, like that mm -hmm. has not been made known yet. And we're just waiting. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the recent ones are. Yeah. So uh, I, sorry, I just was on the phone with my mom. She just called me. So I had to kind of mm -hmm. go out for a second, but I wanted to share ours. Um, we lived up in, we've moved a lot and we lived up in um, Nampa, Idaho up until just a few months ago. And we just really felt strongly. We, so we lived on the road for a year and a half. We lived in an RV and we just traveled around the country. And then we moved to Nampa. We were there for about a year and a half. And my husband's like, I will never again live in a trailer full time. It's just hard. And we've got four kids and it's just, it's a lot. And so earlier this last summer, we've, we just felt really strongly that we were supposed to move to my hometown. And my hometown is teeny tiny town and I I told my husband he really likes it here and he he's like oh yeah I'd, I'd love to be there and I've just always told him I said it's just impossible I said we've got some relationship issues with some family members there that I don't see how that can ever be resolved um, we homeschool and I said there's no homeschooling community so it can't happen there and there's just no water like we have land here but we don't have we don't have water and we don't have a house, right? There's nowhere to rent. It's just tiny. Mm -hmm. And so it just, it seemed impossible. And so during the summer, we um, came out to a family reunion and the relationship issues that I thought was impossible, it was clear that those had been resolved. And not only that, but the, the sibling that we've had issues with told us that they were thinking about homeschooling their children and they have seven kids <laughs> and so <laughs> we're like okay well that's kind of random that they're thinking about it and you know the one thing that I I was like well you know we we do have a trailer we could always live in the trailer that was the one thing that my husband's like you know not mm -hmm. not going to budge on and so with those other two things being resolved the homeschool and the relationship issues um, we just felt like it was meant to be that we'd be here and, you know, we don't fully understand why we're here. You know, we left a, a nice, fairly large home, a community that we loved, an area that we loved. And we were back here in my hometown living with four children and 350 square feet. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, against you know, my husband's like, no way this is ever going to happen again, but it's, it's where we're at and we're learning a lot and we're growing a lot and we're, we're having to come together and mm -hmm. we're 
yeah, we're having to overcome some, a lot of just different things that are kind of tricky. <laughs> Spatial. Yeah, everybody's social distancing and we're, we're all huddled together. So. <laughs> yep. well, one. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Thank you for sharing. Um, it's interesting on uh, just the, the last two paragraphs on, on page 67 that um, Abraham built a house in a location where all who entered or exited the city would pass by. Um, if anyone knows like the, the Fertile Crescent that we're talking about here, um, that Huron is, is just a, a perfect location on, on major trade routes and everything. Um, God positioned him very well. And, and Abraham then positioned himself even further, um, built a, a location within that city so that everyone had to pass by it. So that he was literally kind of a... a a light on a hill that, that could not be hid kind of a thing. I, I found that very interesting. As he is uh, perpetually moving, we'll see that he does the same thing everywhere he goes. He always puts up his tent in a prominent place so that he can uh, bring others into um, to be hospitable. Um, that's, that's another word that um, is, is synonymous with the Abrahamic covenant, um, to be um, very welcoming and and we as saints know know a lot about that uh, being hospitable even though we might not all practice it um, totally perfect yet um, that, that is very much a characteristic of, of the followers and, and the posterity of Abraham um, all right let's talk about Sarai um, we have lots of interesting information here that um, we, we do know that she's uh, perhaps a half-sister, niece, a cousin, a very close kinship with, with Abraham. Um, but there's, there's a possibility that there, there might have been much sympathy and support long before their marriage. Um, she could have well been in the crowd the day that uh, he was delivered from that sacrifice. That would be an interesting story to hear her, her perspective and point of view on. Um, but really focusing in on her name, I, I find it um, very telling that, that we have Sarah or Sarai that, that means um, princess or queen. And, and then on the next page that we learn a new name for her, which I had never heard of before this book, but Iska, which means prophetess or seer. And, and so we kind of have both, both sides of, of the spectrum here. We have a political name such as um, Sarai, which is princess or queen. And yet we have an ecclesiastical title, uh, Iska, the prophetess seer. And we find that uh, same thing as, as we make the Abrahamic covenant, um, kings, queens, priests and priestesses. We have both political and ecclesiastical blessings that can flow to us uh, through our names and our patriarchal lines. I find that's a, a very interesting concept that, that I hadn't known about Sarai before. Um, let's see, there's so many different things and we're almost, we're like nine minutes left. Um, why do you think that infertility is such a huge part of the story of Abraham and Sarai. Why is that 
a common trial for the descendants of, um, of faithful covenant people. Uh, we have Sarah, we have Rachel and Rebecca. All three of them dealt with the exact same thing as well. Why is that a, a common thing that, that the Lord um, tests and, and proves us with? Hey, what are your thoughts on, on that whole subject there? I know that's a can of worms. <laughs> I think for Abraham and Sarai here, they'd been promised this huge posterity and yet we have no children. And so it was a real trial of faith, right? Mm -hmm. As you know, I can't speak as one not having children, but perhaps that's also a trial of faith throughout the children of Abraham mm -hmm. that are also have the same promise, right? Yeah, for sure. And, and, um, I guess my question is, why does it seem to kind of be ramping up here towards the, the second coming? It seems like a lot of people in, in our ward and stake, and you just hear of it a lot in general, uh, amongst uh, good, faithful, young people getting married, that, that infertility is just a huge issue, a huge struggle. Um, they're, they're having to find Abraham and, and, and Sarah in, um, and connect with them in, in that way. Uh, for the exact same blessings. I, I find that very interesting as we're uh, ramping up here in the last days. Because all so, those don't want to come. <laughs> <laughs> Cameron, I think that um, with that being said, I think, you know, I also haven't had to struggle, struggle with infertility, but I can only imagine how difficult that would be to, to be happy for someone that, you know, continually gets pregnant and yet you cannot. And I think that it could be a real character, you know, uh, struggle, like builder, because, mm -hmm. you know, how do you be happy for someone? Yeah. You can be, but you also have to be mourning every time you hear, you know, that somebody else is pregnant and somebody else is experiencing something that you've been promised. And so I think that that's what made her so unique. And, um, it, and I think that, that helped her character if you will that she was able to you know hang on to that I'm sure she had her moments of doubt and things but in the end because she she proved faithful she was able to receive that blessing and I think that it, she's a good example of you know how, how can we be sensitive to those who, who are in, in for, you know aren't able to have children and also for those who cannot have children how can you try to show happiness and mm -hmm. you know well, this actually was my trial, 20 years, nine in vitros, one living child. So yeah. I, I walked that walk for a really long time. And I have two sisters with eight kids and one of my best friends has nine kids. And, you know, hmm. I actually didn't find it difficult to be happy for people that I loved. I struggled with the people who complained and abused and hmm. didn't want their kids. <laughs> like, exactly. what? Seems like everyone's popping out children and they they're not even grateful for them i mean outside of the the church and covenant a lot of times you know it's like oh and i always tell people because i lost him at lots of phases along the way that mm -hmm. i i have um adopted children i had one daughter for my first marriage i adopted two and then i had the one son um and uh, i have lots of babies in heaven but i uh I wouldn't trade 
the things I learned and the testimony that I forged through those experiences. And I knew a few people because my youngest is 15. I knew a few people while I was going through that. I know tons of people now. It's so much more prevalent. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it seems to, to really be ramping up. It's, it seems like, I don't know, but. Well, I think that it's conspiring men in the last days, partly. Also true, yep. <laughs> and and I, I don't know how or why I don't spend time looking at that. I just, I just, I just think so. <laughs> mm -hmm. yep. <laughs> yep, for sure. I um, think it also makes her really relatable to, to people, you know, I, I've struggled. I have four children, but I have infertility issues and every child has been a miracle that we've had. And I, I would say that Sarai is somebody that I've always really um, related with because of those issues. And, you know, you look at how many people have issues these days. And I think that maybe that's something that they can look to. They can look to Sarai and say, well, look what God did for her. Mm -hmm. And they can literally the know, mother of all nations. <laughs> right. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and, and Libby says that it connects her to Emma as well. Yeah. Yeah. Very much. Um, so uh, <laughs> we're just running out of time, but, um, I, uh, really what it comes down to is God tries all of us in the ways that are the very hardest for all of us. Mm -hmm. When I was a teenager, I said, you know, we'd be studying about world war two or cancer survivors or whatever. And I'd be like, I'll take whatever the Lord gives me as long as I can have babies. <laughs> yep, and then that's the one thing. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, sometimes I happens. Can I just talk about um, page 65 down at the bottom? And that's footnote 35 when Joseph Smith said, and it's kind of changing the subject, who once explained that nothing is more is so much calculated to lead people to forsake sin as to take them by the hand and watch over them with tenderness. And I just loved that because it reminded me so much of ministering and just reminded me of how we just need to treat everyone. And that right there is maybe the secret to Zion, right? Mm -hmm. That is the secret to Zion. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Love. It's really all about love. Yeah. yeah. And Abraham's example, life was an example of loving and, and Sarah's or Sarah's too, of loving how the savior loved and heavenly father loves. Right. Mm -hmm. I also think we can tie in the thing with infertility in with what you just said. I just heard a podcast the other day about how it's always all about the children and um, maybe how we look at children and how we treat children and how we value our children and um, also devalue our children is kind of a measurement of where we are in society and as Zion people where we put children mm -hmm. because the world right now doesn't value children at all and of course you guys know we you know they're, they're most precious to us and that just that really struck me that we were talking about that and then you went right to that loving tenderly you know I think that's I think that's a really good measurement where our heart is just how much we value children and life in general mm -hmm. I love that Kathy thanks for sharing that and seeing that connection yeah thank you there's one other thing Cameron that I that really stood out to me 
as relevant to this particular group and what we've been talking about and what we are searching for and learning. And um, it was in the, um, I mean, it's quoting Abraham, but I don't, I don't know, I'm in the Deseret Book app, so I don't know how to tell you where it is, but um, it's from Abraham 1, 1 and 2, and desiring also to be one who possessed great knowledge and to be a greater follower of righteousness and to possess a greater knowledge. Because I think we hear a lot from people who are, you know, well, we're in the sixth field, you don't know what you're talking about, oh, that it's somehow, um, what is the word, what is the thing people always say, going past the mark if, we, if we're mm -hmm. trying to gain knowledge. And yet, isn't he our greatest example? Isn't he? Yeah. Who we're supposed to study and it says right there in the beginning twice that he's going his greatest desire is to gain knowledge and to gain more knowledge and mm -hmm. i think we're all here because we have that desire right mm -hmm. yeah exactly and it's interesting um that that tie-in we had our our ward conference this last week and uh, one of the state presidency was was just so adamant that we not we stay on the path and and keep out of the weeds and stuff. And then he defined what the weeds were, and I was like, oh wow, <laughs> if that's weeds, then I'm I'm in them a lot. <laughs> what did he define the weeds as? <laughs> just searching after anything but but faith, baptism, repentance, like no no looking for for any knowledge of, of anything whatsoever or or trying <laughs> but you know i and i'm not trying to to, to displace him at all because i mean he he's just he's a very secure from lots of people haven't we mm -hmm. yeah but so funny because isn't that what we go to the temple for mm -hmm. specifically to gain more knowledge right yeah yeah for sure but um but yeah, I, I love that point that, that and, uh, and uh, the prophet asked, told us to find out about the covenants, the Abrahamic covenant. Uh -huh, yeah. Let God prevail in your life. And what does that mean? And he told us to seek for a personal revelation. Yes, all yeah. the time. But I have to just say one thing. I do see a big difference between just knowledge and like spiritual knowledge. There's a lot, it's a lot different. Um because some people search knowledge because they want to show they're smarter or it might be for a degree or for like to progress but i don't think any of us are on here to gain regular knowledge it's more like a spiritual knowledge it's like uh it's a higher knowledge than just to learn you know what i'm do you know what i'm saying well mm -hmm. and to put it into context what i've been learning personally by i i mean i i, I read a lot <laughs> I've read 10 books so far in 2021. So I, I read a lot and a lot of it's the scriptures and a lot of it's things, you know, like that. But the more that you seek spiritual knowledge, I, I find the more you come back to love, 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 taking care of your fellow man, love and um, love. <laughs> <laughs> So you're using it to like, like you're talking about to think you're smarter than somebody else or better than somebody else. You're missing the mark for sure. Because well, and haven't you since you've been studying all of that, you can't really just pick up a piece of fiction and read a book and feel like you're 
it feels like a waste of time. You feel like you're, it's hard to read trivial, just novels. I'm making myself do that because my 29 year old daughter just wrote a book. And, and that's I, okay. I'm not saying that's you know, not okay. But, but I, I had, I have to go, okay, now stop. Yeah, <laughs> because you realize how much more there is to learn. Mm -hmm. it's like a you like like yearn to know more of the spirit spiritual knowledge right yes definitely and that's and that's kind of what it says right underneath where you were quoting andrea reading that scripture no text is more important than this one for understanding abraham he was seeking neither fortune or fame and that's kind of what you were saying kathy is gaining that knowledge for fortune and fame maybe and yeah, to, set yourself well, to put up. yourself above anyone i just you can't put yourself above anyone ever. A lot of people get really spiritual and really go study and go crazy and then have deep spiritual experience. And then the next thing I know, they think they're better than the prophet and leading the church and they're out of the church and they're gone. Mm -hmm. Forgot. Wow. Yeah. Well, you can't be better than anybody, not even the bum on the street, let alone the prophet. <laughs> so keep studying, but remember to be humble. And <laughs> yes, yes. Humility is, is huge in that, right? I mean, right not to to start fights or anything but i mean just today uh, looking on social media and and the, the articles with the, with the prophet and the, the 12 and stuff it, very divisive topics that we're we're talking about and and a lot of it stems from knowledge thinking that uh, one way or another uh, in different things and and we need to remember humility and and to to think before we speak and and, and things uh, i find and that love. that very challenging love, love. <laughs> yeah love exactly well yeah. if you keep reading um um on what he was seeking was righteousness and its rewards um happiness peace rest and blessings so that i think that's why you seek after knowledge yeah, yeah. for righteousness rewards of righteousness not the rewards of fellow men mm-hmm yeah. And then, and then what does it say? He sought, in other words, the kingdom of God, even Zion. So mm -hmm. that was the goal, Zion, right? Mm -hmm. Yep. Yeah, right there. I think that's well, and that's kind of what Neil was saying. Like, if you do have a Zion heart, you're not going to be thinking you're better and, and going off track if you have a Zion heart, which is a humble, um, a humble heart. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. Um, so just as we're wrapping up, I, I created this graphic. If it's helpful for anyone, let me screen share it really quick. Um, as there's so many different um, Mishnah and Jamara and Midrash and, and things quoted, um, I thought it was kind of helpful to, to pull in what they are and, and why he's quoting them all the time. Um, we have the, the three main um, books, I, I guess you could say, that, that are quoted. The Tanaka, the Zohar, and the Talmud. The Tanaka is, is basically our Old Testament, um, split into three parts. The Torah, which is the written law. The Nevaim, which is the prophets, like Isaiah and, and those. And then the Ketuvim are the writings, uh, the poetic things, such as Job, Psalms, Songs of Solomon, etc. And then you have the Zohar, which is the mystical things. It's like our sealed portion of the plates that we always reference. It's things that are not available to those that aren't in doubt. And then um, the Talmud is, it's, 
it's different because we have a totally different, we don't have like a theocracy right now. Um, but the, the Mishnah is the oral law, much like the, the constitution with amendments, bill of rights, different things in that kind of a category. Um, the Jamara is like practical commentary written by, by good people, but not necessarily prophets. And it's kind of like our modern Leahona's magazines. Uh, it's all approved, but um, again, it's, it, they're just many articles and it's very extensive. Um, the Midrash is kind of its own separate thing, but um, it's more like an institute manual. It's written by scribes or people that are heavily involved in the scriptures and, and really uh, know a lot of mysteries. And they're trying to um, just interpret the scriptures and get the scriptures out to people in better ways. Um, so I found that that graphic was somewhat helpful as I was studying. And, and again, it's not all inclusive or anything, but as you're going through here and, and it has, he's referencing the Mishnah or the Midrash, um, this might be handy. I'll post this on the website and, and email it out, but um, I, I, I don't know. There, it, it's just there if you, if you want it to, to study with. But um, I, had, I had one question that maybe you know on page 67 at the top. According to the Perk Day Rabbi, uh -huh. And I know what rabbi is, but I'd never heard the term perk day rabbi. Do you know what that is? Um, I've just heard of him a lot. Let me do a quick search perk. Um, and seeing if, if perk is, is actually a title or, or part of his name, just a second. It seems to only be him. I mean, there's no other perks at all. So it's either a name or a specific title to, to his stature as a, as a rabbi. I don't know. I'll do some more in investigation on that. Um, so a quick review of, of kind of homework, loose <laughs> term for, for next week. So chapter three is, um, heavy into the discussion of justification and sanctification. And um, I really love Christofferson's talk. Um, so I'm going to type it out in the, the chat. So in June 2001, Enzyme, um, Christofferson, and it is called Justification versus Sanctification. Um, it is, it'll be really helpful to study his um, talk in the Enzyme and then compare it to what is being taught um, through the life of Abraham in chapter three. And, and he quotes a lot from Moses 6, 59 through 60. Um, that's where uh, the, the, the great verse about justification and sanctification is. Um, so the homework as you're reading chapter three would be to look for the trifecta when this is mentioned, when it's justification, sanctification, purification, or if it's referenced by um, its symbols, water, spirit, blood. Um, Elle also in, in one of our other groups, she posted on the website a, a great uh, graphic and everything uh, talk about water, spirit, blood as well. It's found extensively throughout chapter three in many different ways and different forms, but that's kind of what um, uh, one of the main points of chapter three is. 
So that's kind of a homework assignment um, to read Christopherson's talk and then uh, find those, those trifecta lists of water, blood, and spirit. And then second homework thing is really try to pull out um, parts or promises of the Abrahamic covenant in chapter three. What are the promises that we make to God and what are the promises that, that God makes to us through, through the covenant? Um, try to find those phrases, those wordings, so that they can, you can be more familiar with them and, and, and pick them out as we're reading the scriptures and etc. Um, that'll be kind of an ongoing homework assignment as we're, we're going through the rest of the book, looking for the actual verbiage of the Abrahamic covenant and, and recognizing it when it pops out. Um, just kind of those two things. Uh, again, you know, not everybody likes the, the term homework, whatever, but <laughs> Um, if I were to um, recommend anything, those would be the two things uh, as we uh, proceed with, with chapter three. It's an exciting chapter. Um, we're, we're learning lots of things at an accelerated pace for the rest of the book. Um, yeah. Water, any, water, blood, and what? Water, blood, and spirit. spirit. The three things that are always present at any birth, physical or spiritual. All right. Um, any last comments, testimonies, whatever you'd like to, to add in if I missed some parts. There's a lot in here. It's, it's easy to not cover everything, but any last things before we head out? If not, just thank everyone for, for putting in the time and effort to, to study Abraham with me. It's, it's always fun hearing everybody's comments, getting new insights. Um, <laughs> as we were talking, I, I, I've been uh, teaching a class on Daniel chapter, well, all of Daniel, but um, this last week was chapter four, and it, it just blew my mind, all of the different little symbolisms and stuff. And as we were talking about something totally unrelated, I, I got my answer that I've been praying for all week. It, like that's the benefits of, of studying in a group. There's different little things, different phrases that people say that that really bless us, not only in, in exactly what we're studying, but just in, in general and stuff. Uh, I find that a lot of your comments and stories and and things really bless me throughout the week. And I hope that you you all find that too, that as we're, we're studying together, it's really um, bringing that, that spirit, that, that covenantal, belonging that zion principle in, in your lives I, I i i love building zion and and studying zion i with, with y'all it, it's been uh, such a blast I'm, I'm excited for our future weeks in in these other chapters they're they're awesome it's just ramping up and getting good um but yeah with that we'll we'll disband thanks everyone for for showing up <laughs> have a great week thank thanks. you thank you i love it too thank you yeah. Thanks.